faith is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or Evening and a warm welcome. A couple of notices just before we begin. Uh, first of all, uh, if you're able after the service uh, to help uh, set up the fellowship hall next door for tasty desserts, uh, which involves moving tables and chairs uh, to where we're told to move them, uh, then that would be really appreciated. Uh, so that's uh, straight after uh, this evening's service. And then the second thing to mention is uh, Ian Haim uh, plans to be um, uh, preaching in Park Street in Warsaw on the 17th of July uh, from 11 to 12 um, in the morning. Uh, so if anyone would like to join him, um, please meet in the fellowship hall uh, on, the, um, on the 10th, is that right, on the 10th of July, yeah, uh, for, for, for prayer and to practice uh, testimonies. Uh, so the 17th is when Ian's going, and anyone who wants to join him. But if you want to come the week before, the 10th, uh, then please come and meet uh, in the church uh, for prayer and uh, practicing testimonies. I think that will go out to the church in an email as well, uh, if you've missed that. Well, Psalm 96 Uh, Verses 1 to 3 says this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. 
praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Well, we're here this evening to proclaim uh, the salvation of our God, uh, and that salvation is one which goes out to all the earth. And our first song uh, speaks of that, let the earth resound with songs of praise. Christine is going to come and read to us from uh, God's Word. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me 
and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything. I have said to you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father commanded me. Come, up, come now, let us leave. This is the word of God. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this evening to worship you and to give you thanks and praise for the many blessings you have graciously given to us in life. We thank you, Lord, for your word which sustains us, also for Christ who loved us and died to save us from our sins. We give thanks too for your Holy Spirit which you sent from heaven to dwell within us, to change us and to glorify our Saviour Jesus Christ through our salvation. Lord, as we offer these simple evening prayers to you, we also bring our lives to you. All our hopes, our fears, our weaknesses, our failures, and the successes that you alone have granted to us. Father, we know that everything we have comes from you. Without you, we have nothing and are lost. We thank you for your constant, powerful, and guiding presence in our lives and we ask for your will to be done in us and through us. Lord, we come to you in penitence through our Saviour, Jesus Christ, knowing that we have failed you so many times and that, our only, that only your loving grace and mercy can save us from our sins. Lord, we have so often chosen to follow our own path through life rather than the route that you carefully set out for us even before we existed in the world. So tonight, Lord, we humbly ask that you will send your Holy Spirit to do your work in our lives and transform us for your purpose, praise, and glory. Lord, we give thanks that we are part of your church and we bow before Christ at its head. We commit ourselves once more to each other as members in fellowship to worship you as one body, united and centered on Christ. We resolve to remain faithful to your one true gospel. We ask for your Holy Spirit to create in us the strength, wisdom, and faith that we need as we encourage and love one another in worship and service of you. Father, we offer up to you now our humble prayers for members of our church community here in Palsall. We pray for Miles Tolly to thank you for bringing him through his surgery this week. We pray that in the days ahead you will strengthen and stabilise his body and that he will know that you are always present in his life on the difficult road that lies ahead of him. We pray also for June Broom and Mars's fiancée Esther, asking you to give them the strength they need as they continue their vital support for Miles. 
Lord, help them to know that you are with them at every step they take on the difficult path that they walk. Lord, we give thanks for Gareth Fitzpatrick and his part in our church here in Pouncel and that you have given him the ability to preach your word today at St Mary's Church in Athelstan. Father, thank you for giving Gareth the confidence to speak your gospel message in public. We pray that your word, word was well received today and that those presents will respond to your call. Father, we remember to you Norman Ellis as he prepares to go to New Cross Hospital tomorrow for his cataract operation. We pray that the operation will be a success, that Norman's sight will return to normal, and we ask you to grant him a rapid recovery from surgery. Lord, we also lift up to you all of those in our church who are coping with illness and pain at this time. Father, you know there are many. Lord, you know them all by name and care for each one of them. But at this time, we bring to you in particular Carol and John Whitehouse, Mona Walkington, Jenny Christopher, Sue Bradley, Sue Ferguson, and Martin Hill. We ask that you see the needs of, of these and all of your servants so that they may be healed and, and restored to health. Lord, we offer these prayers to you this evening. In Christ's name, we ask you to hear them for us. Help us to continue to place our trust and faith in you, with Christ as our sure foundation and our salvation. To you, Lord God and Father, be the glory, now and forevermore. Amen. Well, in our Bible reading uh, from John's Gospel, Jesus said that he would send his Holy Spirit. Uh, and Gary mentioned uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as he prayed uh, for us. And our next song is uh, really a continuation of, of prayer uh, as we ask the Holy Spirit to breathe uh, on us uh, as the breath of God. Breathe on us, breath of God. Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, uh, it's helpful to have uh, a Bible with you. If you haven't uh, got a Bible, you can get one at the back. Uh, but all that we say uh, from the pulpit here is from uh, God's Word, and so it'll help you to follow along uh, if you have one, and then turn to Acts chapter 2. And this evening we're going to be in verses 1 
uh, to 11 uh, of that chapter. Uh, When I was growing up, I really enjoyed watching uh, a question of sport, and uh, one of my favorite rounds was what happened next. I don't know if any of you are familiar with uh, that particular round of that particular show, Uh, but what uh, goes on is that they show a clip of uh, something going on in a sport that seems relatively normal and innocuous, but they pause it and then say, what happened next? So it might be someone throws a ball up to do a tennis serve, or a a football player kicks the ball back to the goalkeeper. Uh, It pauses, and then they ask, what happens next? And always, what happens next is something totally uh, out of the ordinary, something, it might be ridiculous, it might be dangerous, uh, but it's something that is not expected to happen uh, and is really often very strange. Uh, So if the ball is passed back to the goalkeeper, you might guess that the goalkeeper totally misses it or the goalkeeper falls over. Uh, I watched one where a tennis player tried to hit the ball and the ball got stuck in the triangle of the tennis racket uh, when he was returning it. Those are the kind of things that go on. And last week, uh, we finished uh, Matthew's Gospel uh, in Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus gave uh, the Great Commission. Uh, And we might be forgiven for asking the question, well, what happens next? What happens after Jesus gives this commission? And what happens is written for us in the book of Acts. And as we come to Acts chapter 2, we find Christians, uh, the few Christians that there are in the world, the very few followers of Jesus, about 120 of them, in a room together. And if at that moment you were to say to those who perhaps knew they were there, or even the followers of Jesus themselves, what is going to happen next, what did happen next would even take them by surprise. So we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 the what happens next of the Great Commission. And we're going to look at this tonight and then over a few weeks in the summer, we're going to just study this very vital chapter in the Bible which signifies the new era as the Holy Spirit comes. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 and for this evening, verses 1 to 11. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, A crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? This is God's word. Well, I've entitled this uh, message, The Power uh, for Mission. And we're thinking about the coming of the Holy Spirit who gives the power in order to fulfill God's mission in our world. And we see that what happens next is a big surprise. Notice words in our passage like bewildered, amazed, perplexed. This was a quite extraordinary event that is going on. 
The book of Acts, if you like, is the gospel uh, continued. Uh, The kingdom of God grows through the building of the church. And the church could not be built without the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is fully and truly God. So is the Father, so is the Son, and likewise the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15, in fact, Jesus promised that he would go to heaven and would send the Holy Spirit. So as Christina read to us earlier, uh, in John chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I said. So the Holy Spirit will be a reminder of the teaching of Jesus. And we're going to see here that the Holy Spirit enables us to proclaim that which the Holy Spirit is reminding us of, i.e. the teaching of Jesus. But just go back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, which you don't even in my Bible have to turn the page, it's just over. Uh, I'm going to read you verses 4 to 8. That's really important to set the context to what's going on in chapter 2. This is, uh, Jesus is still with his disciples here, and and Luke writes, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So just pause there for a moment. So they were to be uh, going to Jerusalem because they'd been in Galilee, go to Jerusalem and wait there. And what are they waiting for? For the promise that Jesus has spoken about, which was in John chapter 14 and 15. Uh, Let's carry on, verse 5. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice there the echoes of what Jesus said in Matthew 28. They're going to the ends of the earth with The gospel message, the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, they are going to need power, which will come upon them when the Holy Spirit comes. So Jesus had said, if you remember in the Great Commission, I will be with you always. And here he's promising how he will be with them. He will be with them by the Holy Spirit of God coming upon them. So the disciples, as we come to Acts chapter 2, are obeying that command to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And the Holy Spirit did indeed come. And that's what we see here. So in verse 1 of chapter 2, they are all in one place. Uh, They're in uh, a, a room. And what we're going to see is the Holy Spirit coming to give them the power. And we're going to see two things in these 11 verses. First of all, we're going to see who this power is for, and secondly, we're going to see what this power enables. So first of all, who this power is for, it's the power that is present for all God's people. The Holy Spirit is the power that is present for all God's people. Uh, So I said before that there were 120 people in that room. We get that from Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. Uh, Luke says it was a group numbering about 120. Uh, So the kingdom of God at that time was about the size of the the membership of our church, give or take. And all of them are waiting in one place. Uh, They could all meet in one place at one time. There was no social distancing or anything of the kind. Uh, They were all there in one room waiting for the Spirit to come. And it was Pentecost. We read that in verse 1. The day of Pentecost came. Now that should be very familiar to you because we read about Pentecost uh, this morning. Uh, And Pentecost was one of the three main Jewish festivals where the Jewish people had to come to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the festival. 
Uh, Pentecost was along with Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. Or the, or, uh, yeah, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of the three main Jewish festivals where the Jews came to Jerusalem. And the Pentecost feast was 50 days after Passover. And the symbolism here, which we saw this morning, in how God uses the feasts to show his salvation. So Jesus Christ dies on the Passover. It's not a coincidence that he died at the Passover. He is the Passover sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who died for our sins. He rose on the third day, and that third day was the first fruits. Or the, the, and, and in the first fruits, the Jewish people would take a little bit of the first fruits of the harvest and offer them to God in anticipation of the harvest to come and in thanksgiving for what God had provided. And that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And we read in the New Testament, as we looked at this morning, that Jesus is the first fruits of the greater harvest that's to come. And then, 50 days later, we have Pentecost, or the Harvest Festival. And the Harvest Festival uh, was where they celebrated the ingathering of the harvest. And Pentecost here is when the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee uh, of the full harvest to come. It's the guarantee of our salvation that we are Christians. The Holy Spirit coming is the beginning of the Harvest Festival. And so there's meaning and symbolism in uh, the timing of the events of the Gospels, tying in with those feasts that we looked at this morning. So it's, the pe- so it's Pentecost, so we should expect a harvest of some kind. And indeed, one does come, and it comes suddenly. Look at verse 2. Suddenly, we see that they're gonna, they hear a sound and they see a sight. Now, the sound and the sight are difficult to explain, and so we read what they are like and what they seemed to be. Notice uh, that the sound was like the blowing of a violent wind, and in verse 3, they saw what seemed to be Uh, tongues of fire that separated. So the sound that they heard in verse 2 was like the blowing of a violent wind come from heaven. The sight in verse 3 seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came uh, on each of them. Now wind and fire, the sound and the sight, uh, are what they were like, but don't get caught up and worry too much about what exactly it sounded and, and looked like. The point is what they symbolize, what, the, what they are trying to show is going on. Because wind and fire are important in a description of what is happening here. The Greek word for wind is, uh, has the same root as the word for spirit. If the Holy Spirit was to have a sound, it would be the wind or that of breath. The same kind of, kind of thing. It's the wind or breath. That's the sound of the Spirit. And fire, that's often used as a symbol for God's presence, especially in the Old Testament. Now, for example, in the book of Exodus, we see God appearing to Moses as what? As a burning bush. And then when God came upon Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, this is what we read. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. So fire symbolized the presence of God. And so regardless of what exactly the sound and the sight was, wind and fire combined tells us this. The Spirit of God has come into the room where the people of God are. The Spirit of God has come into the room where the people of God are. That's what the wind and the fire mean. Now I want you to notice with me two important points about the Spirit coming in verses 1 to 4. First of all, notice in verse 3 how the Spirit came to rest. Notice that. Uh, 
they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. The term rest signifies that the residence of the Holy Spirit was permanent. Uh, Literally, you could translate it as the Spirit sat down on each of them. Now, you know if someone comes to stay at your house, if they come in um, and they sit down, you know they're going to be there a while, don't you? Uh, Sometimes you think, oh no, they've sat down, and you think they're never going to leave. But you know if someone comes and they sit down, they've come to stay a while. And in the New Testament, we read when Jesus finished the work of salvation and he ascended to heaven, what does he do? He goes and he sits at the right hand of God. He sits down because the work is done. So it's an expression of permanence. The Holy Spirit comes to rest on the people of God. It's um, It's not like the wind comes in, stops for a little bit, and then blows away again. That's not what this means. Resting means permanence. The Holy Spirit comes to rest. And this is important because it gives a corrective on a false view of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because some people see the Holy Spirit's work in the Christian as a little bit like a battery that needs recharging every so often. So we we have the Holy Spirit in us, uh, then uh, the Holy Spirit depletes, and we need somehow to get plugged back in so we can do what God wants us to do and need a recharge. And that's what we would call uh, being filled by the Spirit. But that's not what being filled by the Spirit means at all. Being filled by the Spirit is basically walking with the Spirit. A better illustration is that which is on the screen, which is now in a very small box, but that of a power line that goes into a home. A power line in a home is a constant stream of power that is going into your home that that enables you to use all the appliances in your home. You can switch on the lights, you can use the, put the kettle on, uh, do all sorts of things in the home because you've got that power streaming into the house. Now, of course, um, the illustration falls down in that there could be a power cut. There isn't one with the Godhead. There is no power cut. But that's what's going on. We, all, we have all the power we need to live for God because the Holy Spirit is a constant stream of power that is always coming into the Christian, always not lives in the Christian. He comes to rest on the people of God. So you and me today have the Holy Spirit resting on us. We don't need um, to be kind of plugged in and get recharged. The Holy Spirit lives in the Christian. What we need to do is walk in step with the Spirit in obedience to what God calls us to do. And the Holy Spirit then enables us to do that uh, work of obedience and live for God. And that should give us great confidence Because that means that we are enabled to live for God and proclaim um, the word of God to the world. And it's not all down to us. It's not all down to me. Because God gives us what we need to obey him through the spirit who rests upon us. And the power here, while we see it at work in the mission of the church in Acts chapter 2, it's not only for mission. The work of the spirit is is working in us all of the time so we can obey the word of God in our lives. It's not just about proclaiming, it's also about loving your neighbor and all the other uh, aspects of, of following Jesus Christ. You know, you cannot live for God, either uh, on mission or in anything, without the Holy Spirit resting on us. And whilst that gives us confidence, it should also give us great humility. Because when success comes in our life, and God does use us, we can never say, look how great I am. Look at what I've done. Rather, we give glory to God who enables us to do his work. So that's the first truth I want you to notice. He came to rest. But then secondly, he came on all of them. Notice that at the end of verse 3 and uh, in verse 4, it says he came to rest on each of them. And then in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Each of them 
all of them. So it wasn't just Peter who was about to preach. It wasn't just the apostles who were in that room. But every believer who was in that room was filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them. And we see that to be true, that it wasn't just Peter and it wasn't just those apostles Because as you read the rest of the book of Acts, you see the Christians there doing the works of God in the power of the Spirit who enables them. And the New Testament teaches us that the Holy Spirit is given to all believers. Uh, For example, Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and verse 13 says, And you also were included in Christ, When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Each Christian has that mark. Each Christian has the Holy Spirit resting upon us. In Acts, we see the people of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, doing amazing works for God. Uh, In Acts 17, we read how they turned the world upside down, and that continues to this day. Uh, The growth in the church and the amazing works of God are not because Peter or the apostles or the people in that room were super special, uh, super extra holy Christians, In fact, we read that people were totally shocked that these people were being used by God because they weren't anything special. But each of them were filled with the Spirit of God. And that should encourage us because I don't know about you, but I I don't feel very special. I don't think any of us really uh, feel that we're anything that great. Some of you might, but then you need the work of the Spirit to work in you to show you that you're not. But God uses all of us as Christians, to do his work. He lives in us to do it. And so if you're a Christian, that means you have all you need within you to do the work God calls us to do. Now that work may look different for each of us. In fact, it does look different for each of us. Not in terms of obeying uh, what Jesus commands us, but in terms of the acts of service that we do within the church it, lo- it does look different, but whatever we are called to do for God, we have the power to do it by the Spirit who lives in each Christian. So that first point is that the Holy Spirit is the power that's present for God's people. But secondly, we see that the Holy Spirit is the power that proclaims to all the nations. Uh, note in verse 3, That it was tongues of fire that came to rest on people. Tongues of fire. So in the Bible, when we read the word tongues, uh, we uh, are thinking of language, of speaking, of proclamation. And here, in this uh, chapter, for certain, uh, the tongues are a known language that people would understand. Verse 8 tells us that the people understood what was being said. So here, it is known languages. And so this means that the fire, representing the presence of God, is giving his people his word to proclaim to other people. And in verse 4, we see that this proclamation was in different languages. We read there that they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So other tongues mean it was a language that was not their own. This is a miracle. Uh, None of these apostles, well, I I say none of them. Um, Maybe some might have, but it it comes across that none of them went to language school. None of them had learnt these languages before. The Spirit came upon them and miraculously, supernaturally, gave them the ability to speak in languages that they had not known before. And note the end of verse 4, that it was as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, I take this to mean as well, 
that because it was the Spirit that enabled them, it wasn't necessarily a permanent gift that was theirs all the time, but it was a gift that the Spirit gave them as uh, God wanted them to use that particular gift. It was as the Spirit enabled them. So it wasn't necessarily all the time for the rest of their life they were able to speak in those languages. And that's the same for all of the spiritual gifts. If you look at the spiritual gifts uh, throughout the New Testament, we're given those gifts as the Spirit enables us, as the Spirit wants us to use them. And it's not necessarily all of the time. So, for example, there isn't a New Testament office of healer. But the Holy Spirit can and does give Christians the ability to heal as he enables them according to his plans and purposes. The point of the gifts, and we see this throughout the New Testament, is to build up the church and proclaim Christ, or really build up the church by proclaiming Christ. And, the, and people, Christians are given gifts from the Spirit as the Spirit enables them, but not necessarily permanently. Any of those spiritual gifts, including this here of speaking in tongues, can come to any believer, if God wills it, to build up the church and proclaim Christ. And the gift of tongues is often abused when it is not used to proclaim Christ and build up the church. Often it is used to proclaim self and often tear down the church. That is not a gift of the Spirit. And verse 5 shows us why the Spirit used this particular moment to enable the Christians to speak in tongues. Verse 5 says, They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, Pentecost was a big festival. As was mentioned this morning, it was one of the festivals where Jewish people came from all over the world to Jerusalem to worship. And commentators say that there would have been around 120,000 people in Jerusalem at the time. So many were there from so many different places. Uh, Luke writes that they were from every nation under heaven. Now, when he writes that, nations, remember when we looked at Matthew 28, are not necessarily nation states, but people groups. And I don't think we have to take that as uh, people were from every single uh, area uh, in the world as we know it today. But as far as uh, they were looking at it at the time, there were people there from all the different people groups around. And so in verses 6 to 8, we see that these people groups begin to hear the word of God in their language. In verse 6, they hear a sound. So it says, they heard this sound. What was the sound? It was likely the wind, and it was definitely the tongues being spoken. And there was just bewilderment. Uh, there was amazement at what was going on. Uh, they, they, were just, they, they couldn't understand what was happening. And they were bewildered because they could hear their own language spoken by people who weren't expected to be able to speak their language. It was a bewildering thing. Um, I remember when, I mean, you may remember when you were at school uh, doing uh, a language class. Um, some of you may well be gifted in languages. Uh, I certainly wasn't. When we were in our, our French class, um, our language was terrible. We just, you know, spoke with a, our English accents, trying to get our French words out. I thought I was pretty good until I went to France. I spoke French and had the response come back to me in English. So my French definitely wasn't very good. If I all of a sudden started speaking in a language and people understood everything I was saying and would converse in that language with me, it would be a big shock to those who know me because I don't speak a language like that at all. And the people here from Galilee, they weren't people who were highly educated in languages. And so when they all of a sudden started speaking in languages, not just one language, but there was languages from all of these different people groups, it would have been an amazing and, yes, bewildering sound. How on earth, people were wondering, can these Galileans speak in all of these languages? And that's what happens 
in verse 8. They say, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Well, we see what these native languages are. If we, um, hopefully, it's a bit small, that map on the screen, but uh, that map shows there the places around Jerusalem where these people have come from. And you don't need to be able to read all of uh, the different places on there. Uh, They are listed for you in the book of Acts. But what I want you to notice with that graphic is that they are from all the different points of the compass. Do you see that? They're from the north, the south, the east, the west, and northeast, northwest, southeast, southwest. They are from all around. And the point here is this. The gospel is beginning to be proclaimed to all the nations around the world. And that point was brought out this morning when Tim mentioned about the Feast of Pentecost and drew out from Deuteronomy how it was at Pentecost where the foreigners came and worshipped too. And in this Pentecost feast, people from every nation under heaven came and they worshipped God and heard him proclaimed in their own language. And so here in Acts chapter 2, in this new era of the Spirit coming, the gospel is being proclaimed to all the nations around. God's plan for the nations is coming to fruition. Now there is an echo here from not just Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, but also the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 11, we read the account of the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 10, you'll read a list or a table of nations, very similar to what we read in Acts chapter 2. But in Genesis chapter 11, we read the story of Babel, where people were in one place, and they wanted to build a tower to the heavens to make a name for themselves. They wanted to worship God their own way. They didn't really want to worship God, in fact, at all. They wanted to worship themselves and show how great they were by reaching the heavens with their tower. And God scattered the nations in judgment and did so by confusing their languages. But in the very next chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, God begins a plan to restore things again when he says to Abraham that through you, all the nations, in other words, all those nations I've just scattered, all of them will be blessed. And Jesus Christ, the descendant of Abraham, is the one to bless all nations and he sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost so that they, his people can proclaim Christ to all of those nations from every nation under heaven so that they can receive the blessing of God and be restored again to true worship. Whereas at Babel, people were trying to reach up to the heavens to show how great they were and ended up being cursed... God here comes down to earth and shows how great he is by blessing all of the earth with hearing of salvation. The believers proclaim Christ in all of those languages. And it must have been wonderful to hear. They could hear the wonders of God themselves. And it's the wonders of God that they do hear. Look at the end of verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And here's the thing with the gift of tongues and the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables the believer to proclaim the wonders of God. And if you want to, I guess, summarize uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian and the work of the Holy Spirit in the world as he convicts sinners uh, of sin and calls them to Christ, the work of the Spirit simply is to proclaim the wonders of God. And the wonders of God, when we read that phrase, 
uh, should make us think of salvation. That's the greatest wonder. Uh, So, for example, in the Old Testament, in uh, Psalm 78, we read uh, these words. Uh, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. And then the rest of that psalm, which is a very long psalm, goes on to speak of the Exodus and reminds God's people of their salvation from slavery in Egypt. So here, when, Peter, when the disciples are declaring the wonders of God, what it's talking about is salvation. And we see that as we're going to see in weeks to come, what Peter preaches, which is a sermon calling people to salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. The power of God is given to the people of God to proclaim the wonders of God. And that's our calling today, to proclaim the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Now often when we talk as Christians, we sometimes can talk about anything but Jesus Christ. It's easier sometimes to talk of anything but the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, isn't it? If our conversations were all recorded, how much of it would be Christ? That's not to say we can't talk about anything else. But it's the the, the conversation that gets us most excited. It's the conversation we want to have more than anything else. The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. And we should be trusting the Holy Spirit within us to enable us to proclaim those praiseworthy deeds, not just to each other as Christians, but to go out into the world to fulfill the mission of God, which is to proclaim that salvation to all nations, that they would come to worship him. I would just want to mention as well something about the, the gift of tongues. Does the Holy Spirit still enable that gift today? Uh, I would say yes. I would say the New Testament doesn't give us any indication that any of the gifts of the Spirit have stopped. But it's as the Spirit enables. That's the key. As the Spirit enables. But the gift of tongues is, is not always a necessary gift. The Bible does not teach ever that you must be able to speak in tongues to be able to be a Christian. That's false teaching. And I would say that the gift of of tongues isn't always necessary in the sense that we're not in Acts 2 right now. Certainly in in Pelsall, I'm assuming most of you can understand my English. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit may enable us to speak in tongues to communicate God's wonders when we need it. But the New Testament rule is that there would need to be an interpreter there for people that don't understand. But the focus here is not on the tongues. The focus here is not on the gift, but it's what the Spirit enabled the disciples to do. Proclaim the wonders of God. And that's what we are given power to do. That's what the gift of the Spirit is in us for, to enable us, whether in tongues or otherwise, to proclaim the wonders of God. And so let us not worry so much about whether or not we can speak in tongues. Let's not worry about what is my spiritual gift so much as focusing our attention on how can I proclaim the wonders of God and who can I proclaim those wonders to. You see? Is there someone this week that you can speak to about the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim the wonders of God to? Is there a friend in school that you can invite along to 116 or to the holiday club? Is there someone at work that you can mention what you've done this weekend by saying, I was at church And I heard a really great sermon about three feasts that I want to tell you about. Is there someone in your family that you can ring and say, I want to just tell you 
about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us focus this week on proclaiming the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. And one way we can do that is to practice with each other. If you can't talk to another Christian about what Christ has done, we're not going to be much good at telling anyone else, are we? But let's trust the power of the Spirit who rests on us to enable us to do his will and proclaiming the wonders of God. Well, our final song um, is really helpful in this. Um, We're going to sing the same final song as I chose last week, um, which is here, The Call of the Kingdom, because listen to the words of the chorus and see how they fit uh, so perfectly with what uh, we've just read. It says to be that we should be filled with passion, filled with power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. And if you want a kind of a summary of the work of the Spirit, of what's been going on here, uh, the Holy Spirit fills us with passion, fills us with power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your great wonders. We thank you that you have saved us from our sin and given us eternal life. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who enables us to serve you. And we pray that you would give us uh, the boldness that we need to proclaim your wonders and that we would see many people from many nations come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.